Rise. I'm reading from Acts chapter 2, verses then to heaven. And yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Praise be to God. Thanks, Jerry. As I usually do sometimes when I'm not at church, I spend my time on Facebook trying to understand it most of all. I love the quizzes that they have on there. And if you answer the quiz, you can find out how smart you are. I quit, ask, I quit answering them after a while. But I saw and heard and saw this little video last night, and you know if you're on Facebook, you, you get a little video or just a picture, and then people type words across the picture. And I got intrigued by it. As I read the first few lines, I thought, oh, I wonder what this looks... I need to follow this and see where it goes. And it was the story about an elderly gentleman who his son and daughter-in-law felt that they wanted to bring him into their home and care for him. Now, he was quite elderly, and he began to manifest some of the, uh, some of the things that begin to happen as we get older. And he was quite old, and he was a bit feeble. And so when he would sit at the, the supper table... Uh, some food would maybe drop out of his mouth, or he would drop a cup on the ground, or a fork or knife would fall. And they, husband and wife, would look at each other a bit disgusted. And uh, had spoken to him a few times about being more careful. Well, the pattern continued for a while, and so they made a decision that they put up a little card table in the corner of the kitchen away from the family table, and he would eat there. And so they would prepare supper for the family and take his over, and it would be in wooden bowls so that they wouldn't get broken. And the little boy watched this, and often he's, 
it said that he would look over and he would see a little tear running down Grandpa's face. The story went on to say that Dad came into the little boy's bedroom who was four years old and saw him making something. He had a bunch of wood on the ground and he was trying to play with these wood pieces and put them together. And Dad said to him, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm making wooden bowls so that when you and Mom are old, you can sit at my table. Now that's love. That's love. I want to take us this morning, and I want to begin a series and just kind of lay some foundations for this series, which I will kind of introduce today, but proceed further after the Easter season. Next Sunday, as you know, is Palm Sunday and then Easter. But I want to introduce this season to you, this series to you, I've entitled Getting a Handle on This Sharing Jesus Thing. Getting a Handle on This Sharing Jesus Thing. I want to introduce that series, and then I want to begin throughout the spring to talk about that. I was at a conference this week in the ABA conference. I had a great time meeting other pastors and listening to their stories and good things. But a common denominator that we talked about when we gathered around coffee or tables was church growth. Church growth. How it was on the decline amongst all the churches. And so we all had our own ideas, of course, what that would mean. But I think what we're going to speak about over these next couple of months is just that. Let's pray together before I begin. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for, we thank you for the church. We thank you, our Father in heaven, that you are the author and finisher of our faith. You created creation, and you sent your Son to initiate the church. And so we're thankful, Father, that we are part of that initiation, and we gather together regularly as Thornhill Baptist Church. I pray that you might bless us, Father, as we understand your word and move forward with a sense of joy, anticipation, and that we might also be able to utter those words that came from the scripture this morning, and they were all amazed and in awe of what you do. Grant that to us, our Father, I pray in Jesus' name. There's a number of tools that, that I think we will discuss over these next weeks after Easter, but the tool we want to begin with this morning is the foundation. The foundational tool is this. It's our hearts. Not only is it our hearts, but for me, the first thing that builds our foundation 
is that we need a heart, but specifically we need to have God's heart. We need to have God's heart to grow in us. And what do I mean when I say we need to have God's heart? We specifically need to have God's heart for the lost. We need to have God's heart for the lost. I'm old enough to remember Star, uh, um, Star Trek. And my favorite co- uh, character was not uh, Captain, forget his name, Kirk. The one I remember was Spock. I remember Mr. Spock. Spock was half Vulcan in a human race with blue blood, pointy ears, and no emotions. Spock was the one who would always approach every crisis situation so detached and analytical, I found it almost comical. He had two favorite words. One first word was logical, and the second word was fascinating. No matter what happened, Spock was always a deadpan and emotionless as anyone could ever be. He approached things with just simply logic and no emotion. I'm not so sure that the church, the modern church, hasn't kind of adopted a Spock-like attitude. We believe in the Word, we believe in the teachings, we believe in learning, No one can become a follower of Christ without those two things happening. So for TPC, we make sure that we try to the best of our ability to accomplish those things, understanding the Word, teaching the Word, and learning the Word, and that's what makes us evangelical believers. But I'm afraid we tend to learn and then equate learning with spiritual growth. But it's not. It is the foundation for growth. The problem is we can learn a whole lot and do nothing with it. And do nothing with it. You see, learning a whole lot and not moving forward does not make you a follower of Christ. It gives you intellectual knowledge, Spock-like understanding of who Jesus is. But the Bible has always taught us that we must learn and we must do. Today I want to talk to us about our need to feel evangelically. To feel. And what is evangelism? It's the good news. And we need, to, we need to somehow get a hold of feeling for the lost. And not just seeing them out around us, but feeling them. 
I found this new word, Greek word. But let me, let me just remind us of a story from Matthew chapter 9. It's a familiar story. Jesus went along through the villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and sickness. And as we walk through the New Testament, we hear this phrase many times over, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. That word, that sentence, has been used so many times by missionaries. A missionary will come and do deputation, and I can almost guarantee you, somewhere in there, God called him with this passage of Scripture. And I believe he does. But Jesus shared this with all his disciples, not just those who are missionaries. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I want to get personal with a Greek word this morning. It's called spolentnia. took me a long time to learn how to even say it. And you know me, I'm not much of a, a biblical scholar when it comes to Greek. But this, one, this word was too good to pass up. The Greek word is found in verse 36. And it's a word that is translated from the Greek, but it probably makes a little more sense from Philippians chapter 2. Let me read that for 2 verse 1. If therefore there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love... If any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies. What? Any bowels and mercies? That's a translation from the King James Version of the Greek word spolentnia. Let me see if I can really define that for you a little bit. I'm sure that you... If you've ever been told something by surprise, particularly if it has something to do with your health, if all of a sudden you come from the doctors and the doctors have told you, you have cancer. That affects you immediately in your spolentnia, right in here. Or, young people, as you grow and you fall in love, and every time you see that person in your love, you see, you're in love with and you get close to them and you get butterflies in your spolentnia, right in here. And that's the word that most describes how Jesus felt about every single lost person. It got him right here. It took a hold of him. It was that kind of passion and feeling that Jesus took to Calvary.
The closest thing I can, but it just doesn't do it. It is the words, with all my heart, but it just doesn't do it. I love, I love animals. I'm kind of a pet freak. And when I see an animal abused, it gets me right here. And from there, I get angry. I get angry at that person that would do something like that to a helpless animal or a helpless child. That's the kind of feeling that God wants us to have for the lost. He wants us to see the lost around us with a deep, deep, deep burden inside that they're lost and they're going to hell. And God cares about every one of them from here. And he asks us to have that same heart. To have that same heart. If we are going to get a handle on this sharing Jesus thing, we need to have the heart that God has for the lost. I saw that heart this morning with Eve. I saw that heart last week with Zig's son. They had a heart for the lost. And they're, they're exercising their gifts. Eve's in translation. Zig's son is getting right out there in the trenches. But if we're going to get a handle on sharing Jesus, it all will begin with our heart. It will all begin with our heart. If we look at the lost around us and just kind of walk by and not worry too much about it, that kind of feeling doesn't come from God. The second thing I think that I think about begins with us becoming engaged with God's heart. But secondly, it recognizes that we it requires that we recognize the promise of Jesus that that Zig used as the foundation for his message last week. Acts 1.8 But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will, see pow- you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now we, we always talk about the Holy Spirit. We get in We had a great April Fool's thing happen yesterday to us. It was so good. It was fantastic. At the conference, uh, one of our conference leaders, Jim, stood up and he said, you know, we were talking about we at the conference, how we as a group of Baptist churches do things. And he said, you know, I want you to know that there are some deep, deep things happening amongst our leaders. Dan Hamill happened to be there. And he said, our leaders are in discussions with the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada to amalgamate. And he says, it's April Fool's Day over yet. 
I want to tell you that that caught us all. I think a few of us were saying, what? But God gives us a promise when it comes to dealing with sharing Jesus. The Holy Spirit has all of the attributes of Christ. The Holy Spirit has all of the attributes of God. But one of the great attributes that the Holy Spirit has is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses. There is a deep connection, church, between the power of the Holy Spirit and witnessing. I reckon it like a muscle car. My brother has way too many. All built back from scratch. And his philosophy for his car, car collection is power and paint. It's got to have lots of power and it has to have a great paint job. The rest I don't care about. And so he's got many cars in his garage in BC that have in excess of 600 horsepower under the hood. And you know something? I go in there, they look great, because the paint job is great. And I lift the hood and I see this huge, humongous motor under there. And the car is just sitting there. And no one will ever understand the power of that car till he, were, if, till he starts it up and puts his foot on the accelerator and then that 600 horses kicks into gear. And it roars down the road. Well, you know, my friends, that's the way evangelism is. That's the way a witnessing is. Jesus has promised us to wait, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and he will give you power to be my witnesses throughout creation. And so when we accept Jesus as our Savior, we have that power. We have that power living within us. But it's like my brother's car, all that power is sitting in the garage because we're not putting our foot on the accelerator. It's when we put our foot on the spiritual accelerator or the witnessing accelerator, the power of Christ comes into play. He gives us the power what to say. He gives the person listening the power to believe. But I'm so afraid. I'm so afraid. That for me, I often forget that. I don't put my foot on this accelerator. The third thing I want us to think about as a foundation, getting the handle on this sharing Jesus thing, requires that we look for evangelistic windows of opportunity in our everyday relationships. I was a big follower of Billy Graham. 
I thought that man was... I, I loved him. I went to all his school of evangelisms. I took many of his classes from the, uh, the Graham Crusade school. And I remember this one time that one of his, one of his associates was sharing about the crusade in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And they decided to have an open-air pre-crusade event one afternoon and one evening. And so this Jap who was an associate was going to speak at that opening crusade, the pre-crusade event. And Billy had come in a day early. And so he decided to attend this opening event in the afternoon, and he sat at the back of the crowd incognito. He had a big pair of sunglasses and a hat, and he just didn't look like Billy Graham. And he sat back there, and there was an old gentleman sitting in front of him, and the speaker gave a, an altar call at the end of his, uh, end of his uh, stories, and Billy Graham tapped the old man on the shoulder, and he said, uh, would you like to accept Jesus as your Savior tonight, this afternoon? I'll go forward with you. The man turned around and looked, looked at him up and down. Nah, I'll wait for the big gun to come tomorrow. I'll wait for the big gun to come tomorrow. You know something, that's a, a bit of a humorous story, but the reality is there's some truth into that. We don't believe that the little guy can do it. And so we leave it up to evangelists, and we leave it up to storytellers, and we leave it up to preachers, and we leave it up to youth leaders. Billy Graham himself said, there will be more people in heaven because of the relationships of the little guy and the little guy telling the story than all the people I've led to Christ over the years. than all the people I've led to Christ over the years. I remember when I became Christ, when I became a follower of Christ, I went to Bible college, I participated in my church life group, attended multi-church activities, faithful for prayer opportunities, and eventually became a pastor of an evangelical church in southern Saskatchewan. But when I became a believer, something dramatically happened to me. I stopped hanging around with my friends. And I started hanging around with new Christian friends. And my circle became filled with my church people, my, 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 my pastor, and became filled with, with Christian people. And I was happy and comfortable it was a good place to be, and it was valuable for me because it helped me become who I am. It helped me understand discipleship and understand my relationship with Jesus. And so when I went to Bible Coolidge and I went to this young church, I was a happy camper. I was right where I think God wanted me to be with all my Christian friends. And it wasn't long after I started speaking from the pulpit I looked out and I saw a whole bunch of people just like me. In their, in their nice little groups, feeling very comfortable, and living their Christian life. 
I wasn't happy when I saw that. And I thought, I'm going to make a change. And so I would start going down to the coffee shop every day and sitting with the farmers and the businessmen and the other people that came into the coffee shop. I joined the curling club. I joined a men's club that probably pastors shouldn't belong to. Probably too much drinking and too much cursing. But I began to expand my circle of friends. Because I had a burden for them. When I started hanging out with them, my heart, my spalantia became burdened. And I wanted to find ways to reach them. Ways to tell them that somebody loved them. That somebody was, was out there wanting to have a relationship with them. When I look back, I think that was one of the most productive pastorates as far as evangelism was concerned that I had for a long time. I only wished that we could understand that God wants us to reach the unchurched. And we can't do it without expanding our relationships. Without building relationships with those who don't know Jesus. That's a difficult thing in today's era. Because you'll walk into places that, hmm, I don't know if you should be there. A number of years ago, I got invited to come and speak at Steinbach, Manitoba. And if anybody knows Steinbach, that's the Mennonite Mecca of Canada. So they asked me when I was with Youth for Christ if I'd come and do a crusade. And I said I'd be glad to come. But I said I don't want to do a crusade. I would rather take the time to take some of your key leaders and walk with them to places they can share their story. And they said, well, okay, if that's what you want, that's cool. So I did. And I'd run some classes in the daytime, and then at nighttime, I would take two or three of the leaders out, and we would go to places that they'd never gone to before. We went to the pubs. We went to the bars. And I did it for a very purpose. And when I was there, I'd say, you see all these people here? God loves them as much as he loves you. And he wants you to witness to them. The power of the Holy Spirit comes upon those moments when you actually take the step to do it. We walked out of that bar where we had sat at a table with a half a dozen men. We walked out of the bar, and we were just going back to our car, and two of those men come running out. said, can we talk to you? And said, well, sure we can. 
We'd be glad to talk to you. And those two men right there accepted Christ as their Savior. Because the power of the Holy Spirit is upon those who are witnessing. You can't save anybody. Only the power of the Holy Spirit can do the work. But you can be the vessel. I wrote down a couple of things that I thought might be helpful. Things that might look like open windows for you. You need to become sensitive to the other person's story. You need to be able to listen to the other person's story with the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit. And I can guarantee you that when you do that, opportunities for you to witness will come forth. Be sensitive to someone expressing guilt or hurting or disappointing someone else. That's a window. When you're talking to somebody that, that you're expanding your circle with and they start to share with you guilt and hurting somebody, that's a window. Be sensitive to someone who's longing for honest and a sincere relationship in their life, family, and community. When people come to you and sit down at your workplace and tell you about their, their, their marriage is becoming a disaster, their children are, are running away from everything that they tried to teach them, recognize it that perhaps it's a window that you can walk through. Be sensitive to those seeking guidance and direction for something. Be sensitive to people coming to the realization that they had made a giant mistake in their life. That is probably the most open window than you could ever find. When you sit down with somebody at work, sit down with somebody in your circle of unchristian friends, and they begin to tell you how they've made a mess of their life, that's a good thing. Because you have the answer. I confess to you, the last decade before I returned to Thornhill when I was driving a truck, I went right back to where I was before I was a pastor. All my friends were Christian. I spent all my time in the church. I was an elder of the church. I taught classes in the church. And I would lay my head down at night and say, there's got to be more to it than this, Lord. Because I would see my truck drivers lost and being separated from God. There has to be more to it than this. Well, God heard my cry. I'm not sure you'll be happy with it. But he said, I'm going to take you back to the church. And you start walking the walk. And I am. Probably some of you, if you watch me go where I go, sometimes you say, nah, I don't know, Pastor, if you should be there or not. My response to you, do you think lost people are here? Then I want to be here. I want to be here to look for a window 
If the modern-day church, if the 21st century church doesn't learn how to do evangelism once again, we will all die. We will all die. You want life in your church? You want energy in your church? You want your church to be bubbling like it's a boiling pot of water? Get saved people coming to the church. Get new believers coming to the church, and I'll guarantee you they'll light you on fire. Their love will just flow across everything. I saw a movie not so long ago, so I'm going to ask the ushers. I don't know who can turn these bank of lights off. Anybody know how to do that? And I'm getting the ushers to turn back lights off. I want to thank Lyric for this, my new tech buddy. Uh, he's kind of showing me how to do video editing and doing things like this. And so I'd, I'd heard about this man who was, a, who was a military man named Desmond. And he joined the military during the Japanese war. And he joined the Marines, but he would not carry a weapon. He said, I will not, I will not raise a gun up against anybody. And they... They ridiculed him in his boot camp and everything and, and said, I don't know what you're doing here. And he said, well, I, I want to be a medic and I want to save lives. I want to, don't want to take lives. This is a clip of him during the Japanese war at a place called Hacksaw Ridge. It's a true story. I want you to view it. And then I want us to go into communion. <laughs> 